Hi, this is Teen. Just a quick note before we start this podcast episode. This was originally meant to be a bonus episode for the Patreon feed, but after we recorded it, we decided that it was relevant enough to Asian American discourse generally that we decided to release it instead as part of the regular pod feed. Uh, Jess and I do go about talking about this one as if it were a bonus pod for Patreon, so sorry for any confusion. Uh, without any further ado, here is this week's episode of Escape from Plan A. Escape from Plan A. Another uh, Escape from Plan A bonus episode. I think it's the first one that uh, I've done, and I'm here with Jess. Jess, how's it going? It's going all right. Um, so, you know, as if you're listening to this, it probably means that you're like a Patreon donor, and we really appreciate it. I saw someone say online that they're a Patreon donor, um, and that, you know, they don't need, they didn't feel like it was necessary to like, uh, lure people into, you know, contributing to this writer's fund that we're creating um, through bonus episodes that he would have um, donated anyway. And I thought that that was a really nice thing to say. But I guess just, uh, I think we talked about this before, but the bonus episodes are also kind of for us to like, like just be a little bit atopical or just sort of like riff, you know, because we're like riffing all the time. Yeah, kind of how mean, we got started. It's all a work in progress, right? So what we what we what we're doing now may not be the the model, you know, next week or the week after, even. Uh, for this one, I, yeah. I I I think what we had originally talked about was these would be a little bit more off the cuff, um, a little bit more personal at times, um, not necessarily following a strictly edited format with a, with the research and philosophizing or anything. Um, yeah. So. It just felt like a, a a reasonable separation between the main Escape from Plan A pods and this uh, like corollary track. Not that there's a complete bifurcation, but just more like uh, just a little bit of separation seemed like a good idea. Um, but again, yeah, we might yeah. revisit that whole that whole concept anyway later. So who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, I mean, I think there's just certain things that like I'm not even sure I'd be that. Not I don't know if comfortable is the right word, but just like. Uh, there's just certain topics. I'm not sure people would necessarily grasp them. They may just be like things that you and I talk about and maybe people will understand. I don't know. But one thing um, I wanted, I, I, you know, we had like kind of like, I was just telling you kind of where my head was at. And one thing I wanted to talk about was um, privilege. And I'd say that, you know, us knowing each other, it's like you grew up, I think, in what would be considered a pretty privileged um, Asian-American enclave, mostly Chinese-American in the LA area, which is marked by high land, high property values and good schools. Um, I grew up in a leafy suburb, multicultural suburb on the East Coast. And, you know, kind of a different, but a lot of, I think it was marked by privilege, I would say. I I, I don't, but I don't think either of us would, I don't know, I I wouldn't call myself a rich kid, but... um, I'm not uncomfortable and unused to such circles. And I guess I wanted to talk a bit about what we, you know, 
what that identity of the sort of like privileged Asian American is, because I don't think that a lot of like my 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 friends in from that from that background um, are problem free, and I think they're also looking for something, meaning so or they feel some. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's not this concept of like privileged Asian Americans. I think in the discourse. Uh, in the Asian American discourse, it's often sort of like seen as um, something we want to disclaim. And I think I sense that even in our mainline pod, like in the free pods, it's like we're constantly saying, hey, we're Asian Americans, we're POC, and we don't have white privilege. Um, and while there's truth to that, I think it just kind of sets up this idea that privilege is basically useless and we should disclaim it as soon as possible. Right. So before we talked about talk about like what a privileged Asian American is, I think it's it might be worth kind of poking at the concept of privilege um, to begin with. So I definitely okay. know what yeah. you're talking about. Um, like the uh, like the leftist discourse now really sets up a privilege is a bad thing, and b it's supposed to be almost it's supposed to be uniformly correlated to white. Uh, as a, mm -hmm. the people, um, and there's a there's a lot of ways that that fails us as Asian Americans. Um, of course, this because there's a whole range of what Asian Americans are, and their position in the society. Uh, so just going to the first one, like is privilege like bad? Um, I have I actually have a problem with that because it sets us up to fail in a number of ways. If privilege well, do you want to is define bad, it? huh? I mean, do you want to define it? Like, do you do, well, do you have a, a, see, I don't a definition? Know what, I don't that know what you the definition use? is. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm trying. I guess I'm just thinking through what, like, how it's just what it's described as, right? And like, kind of seeing mm -hmm. where the gap between that and what I feel my life has brought me, uh, who I am, you know, have been raised, and all of that, how that positions me now. So, uh, so one thing, like, is privilege bad? And I have a problem with that because, in a sense. The struggle, the way it's constructed now, is about, um, is is set up so we are asking for more privileges. Um, it's positioned as kind of a power struggle, right? Uh, this is, I think it's okay to actually say that, you know, as a whole, Asian Americans are highly focused on upward mobility. Uh, there's a reason... Um, there are so many Asian Americans uh, scoring, scoring big at the top, finding their way to the Ivy Leagues, finding their ways into um, the professional class in a really big hurry. Uh, we have not been in this country a very long time yet. If you look at the numbers, we're kind of everywhere you want to be. Yeah. So, like so so i feel like leftist discourse does us a disservice because it's kind of cutting out the legs from under our, the uh, the collective struggle we're we're undertaking to actually get the fuck ahead to survive and so right thrive. right you're so you're saying like you're saying like we we basically in our actual lived lives are frantically and you know we're working our knuckles to the bone to achieve a measure of economic privilege and social privilege. But at the same time, we have a sort of racial justice discourse 
which I don't want to say demonizes privilege, but essentially places privilege as the problem. Right. And I'm not I'm not against that notion. I just think it's not been formulated well. Um, and I, I, I don't think privilege itself is the problem. But I think that privilege without any sense of what the purpose and utility of that privilege is might be might be a problem. And I think it's a problem not just of your politics and it's not a problem. It's not just a problem of like personal responsibility. But I think it sort of uh, presents itself as a bit of like a spiritual problem and an existential problem to Asian Americans like myself who do have a, a measure of privilege. Um, and maybe we should define, uh, I can give you my definition. I think privilege basically is just the, the means to, um, it's the means to sort of set your own standard, play by your own rules. You know, um, the ability at some point to uh, make your own decisions rather than yeah, just basically doing as you're told. You know, yeah, I and, agree with that. It's it's the ability to me to give an uncoerced yes and an unqualified like a completely um, a, a no. Like mm -hmm. my yeses aren't coerced and my nos aren't forced, right? Like right. I have the ability to walk away if if something does not meet my standards. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. As well as um, to as well as to get yeses and nos from other people. Yeah. Um from based on what you want. You yeah. know. So privilege and, to me it's 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 a form it's power, right? I'm not actually entirely sure why uh we why as a collective um we've moved away from calling it power and, and moved instead to privilege. Uh but to me they seem like one and the same. Like privilege is like a manifestation of power or like the mechanism by which power is you know propagated and makes its demands known and heeded or something but to me no, there's an element of power thing. No, there's an element of power which is about the control of other people and i think you can have privilege you can have the ability to set your own standards um without necessarily having power over other people i think privilege kind of mm. begins with kind of power over yourself and you know the sort of the absence of power over you. Um, so That's I, I, fair. I do. I guess I, I draw the, a distinction between privilege and power. Okay, that that um, I can buy that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also think uh, you know power certainly helps privilege, right? Uh, and mm -hmm. I think the real world application of privilege um, does require power, as in the you have to have the ability to. Uh, in some way, enforce your will over others. It can be passive, right? Uh, simply mm -hmm. by saying, like, if you're saying no to being, like, to being a pawn in their game, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're still constraining what they can do with you, at least. Well, um, if we go by that, that might though, be getting I feel in like the weeds. I, but, but I get, I, it's not because I think, like, if that's the measure of privilege, I would say that I'm not privileged because I don't have any power. Uh, I, I don't think I'm an, a person with power. I, I can't tell other people what to do. You know, I can't make other people bend to my will. But on the other hand, I feel like I'm not as susceptible to the demands of other people as someone without any measure of cash and financial independence has. I have some measure sure. of it. I'm not like a rich dude, but I'm not scrambling for my next paycheck. 
Sure. You know, and I think that maybe sometimes we shy. We like we like dealing, I think, in more abstract notions of privilege because it keeps the discourse sloppy enough that you can get a lot of buy-in without having to say anything real. And it's really true. You know, and yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it kind of comes down to can we a lot of times when we say privilege, I think what we really mean is like cash. Do you have do you have access to money? It's a good proxy. It's a good yeah. proxy. And this is why it gets so messy for Asian Americans. Um I absolutely I can't in good faith say I'm not a privileged person in this society. I grew up with money. Um, I, w- I grew up with people who had money. There was a whole network. It was a community of people uh, who all came from a similar economic profile. Uh, that bought us all collective advantages uh, in, you know, in America. Uh, and I've made my living and my career based on, based on the collection of those advantages. Um, yeah. So... So I guess it makes it really hard for me to navigate um, the discourse of privilege because uh, I'm not I'm not a white person. I don't Mm -hmm. pass as a white person. I I mean, there's just no universe in which I am seen by society as a white person. Uh, I also Mm -hmm. feel like the particular set of privileges that I bring with me also means I don't necessarily need to be seen as a white person. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Totally uh, like, I I have been I I feel I I feel like I've been uh, successful according to the benchmarks I've set for myself, and I don't feel like race has been a huge roadblock in that process. Um, there's a there's a there's a pos- there's a flip side to that power statement though. Um, you're talking about you know the power to in you know enforce your will upon others. I think there's also a flip side to that, which is the ability to create opportunities for others, right? To create yeah. a space, and this is this requires money and influence. Um, there's mm-hmm. no way to talk about privilege and power that is completely divorced from you know the inconvenient fact of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I do feel like I have some power as well. Um, I have been able to create opportunities for other people um mutually advantageous i don't think this is a it's not charity right we're all in mm-hmm. business or we're 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 driving towards some kind of goal with the idea of a monetary or social payoff at the end um so i i feel like i've been able to leverage privilege uh to uh enforce you know some vision of what i want um in this in in my life i think that's the big question right is in you know outside i guess where i'm where i'm coming from now in my you know i'm 40 i'm like thinking about these kinds of things more and more because i've you know i've paid my dues right and a lot of that is blind effort you don't know why you're doing it you just know this is what you're supposed to be doing and i think that it's probably you know in, in the kind of discourse that we have in the in in at Plan A like in the pods and stuff like I don't often find it to be that relevant to my personal situation, and I find that my personal situation, which is you know I'm a, like a lawyer in in New York City and I you know I I I I think I know a lot of things I've participated in government and I know 
you know, a lot of things about law and finance and all this stuff. And uh, I'm left with all this, I guess what you would say, like a privileged position. And I see so many other Asian Americans that have that and more so, much more so than me. And I think it's kind of time that we start having conversations about what to do with this all. You know, like, do we have a, the ability to have a good conversation about being in a position of plenty and, yeah, and not... I, yeah, I, you know, I agree. What does it mean? And it needs to be something that's... I think we all have to navigate this, but there's no language for it. There's no, there's no dialogue. So it becomes an individual process. Uh, but I think there needs to be some more collectivized vision for what to do. Uh, because right. it can get really confusing. Um, I like okay, so um, I saw an I saw an ad uh, that our friend Chris posted in our Discord. Mm-hmm. Um, for all you listeners, Discord is really fun. You should you should consider joining. Um, yeah. And he posted he posted a snapshot of a. Uh, of an of I guess a poster for an art show um that he had seen uh you know just walking around and it's basically you know it's a very progressive POC led art show but um but one thing that caught my eye was you know there's a sliding scale for admission right 5 to 25 dollars uh and then in parentheses below then like you know you got you know pay what you pay what you can but we're looking at you white people so you guys should pay up with all that privilege you have. Uh, something like that. <laughs> right? right. right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that kind of leaves, like, it's hard to know how I fit in, right? Uh, I'm not white. Uh, I don't carry white privilege around with me. Yet, technically speaking, I, I feel a moral obligation in this situation to be paying at the upper end of that scale. Right? <laughs> right, right. Um. So I I, I agree. I, I totally feel that too. It's an individual, like atomized. Like for me, it's like an individual situation by situation navigation of privilege, and mm-hmm. it gets a little tiring because like there's no there's no rule book that really accommodates it, and there's no real like there's no support from Asian Americans because that's the di- discourse is so bifurcated on that side too. Um, on the one hand, you have the you have the go go capitalists, right? Uh, who are just pro, you know, roar, like, they're just sad they missed the 80s Reaganomics boat, basically, and they're trying mm-hmm. really hard to catch up, right? Mm-hmm. And on the other, you have basically the people pointing fingers and saying, if you're, you know, anywhere close to this, you're complicit, you know, you're privileged, um, or you're, you know, basically you're just as bad as white. So you owe penance just as much as white people do. And it's a stalemate because, you know, the finance bro or the tech bro that has, um, you know, fuck you money or, or is approaching it. Their position I've seen online is kind of like, look, I'm taken from the white man. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm showing them that I'm as good or better than they are. What the fuck are you doing? Right. Like, or, you, you know, I mean, you talk a big game, but I'm actually out there playing. Right. And so I've done it's a the deadlock. work. You're never going to convince them, you know? Yeah. So it can be like, well, I took from the white man and, and succeeded in a white man's world. What more do you fucking want from me? Yeah. Uh, on the other, and then an even shallower take is got mine. Fuck you. Like, what's mm-hmm. your problem? Right. Like, why mm-hmm. can't I did it? Why can't you? Both mm-hmm. positions, both sides of that, that at that end are to me morally bankrupt. There's a fuller and vision the, for the exercise of privilege. And, 
but they're also dependent on each other in a way, right? They like one kind of exists are. because the other exists. Mm-hmm. And both sides are so dug into their frames, but they don't realize that they're dug in in opposition to that other. And we're talking about people that are aware of their of this racial struggle, right? Of this yeah. of of the racial condition. So we're talking about Asian American discourse. We're talking about people who care. And uh, I think they get really dug in because I think both sides really do believe in this in this racial struggle that there is a, that there is some uh, a priority to being an Asian American. And I find that that disc, that kind particular conversation is a deadlock and I don't get anything out of it anymore. There, it doesn't have anywhere to go, but just fighting and more fighting. And then it becomes yeah. like dirty politics and people are engaging in, in, in personal attacks and trying to play, you know, games with each other, trying to undermine the other side. And uh, I think I don't see much of a future in that anymore. And I feel like we need to get a little dialectical here and try to figure out. Let's be honest. I'm a, I, th- I guess the proper coordinates for me in the social justice parlance would be I'm a, I'm a, I'm an Asian American male straight cishet, right? And so that yeah. pretty much means in the social justice discourse that I'm about as close to white privilege as you can get. I tick I all can, the boxes, and the, and the one that I, I don't tick, I'm sort of at the just below the cream in terms of, you know, how much economic and social uh, marginalization I have to face. It's not, I'm, I'm really not in the most oppressed group. Let's, I, we need, I need to be honest about that. I think a lot of us do, you know, and, mm-hmm. and just kind of start from there as a base fact. Yeah. And not have to constantly tweet or bring up historical injustices that were aimed at Asian people to say that that affects me too. Yes, of course it does. But that doesn't mean that, like, those are oppressions that I face in my daily life. Yeah. And I, I mean, in other ter- in other words, if the revolution comes, both of us are going to be put up against the wall, right? Probably, probably. Um. So <laughs> if that's the line being drawn, we're on we're on this particular side of it. Um. Right. So I mean, likewise. I mean, I'm Asian. I'm female. Uh, both like the uh, so you know technically I have two conditions going on. Um. But I think mm-hmm. it was the sheer power of my background, you know, the specifics of how, where I grew up and how um, that really that really helped out um, in a way yeah. that I can't I cannot honestly, uh, in good faith, say that I have felt much marginalization as a result of either my race or my gender. And I reckon this is not to say this is not to make a generalizable statement about either women or Asians or Asian women. Uh, this is just speaking from my. This is just. This is the power of money. This is the power of having social capital. Um, so yeah. I mean, I recognize how important that is because if it got if it bought me um, a reasonable a reasonable life with some amount of success on my own terms, that means this is super valuable, and I can't shit on anyone's pursuit of it. I really can't. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because mm-hmm. I've, I, I see in my life and the lives of my peers that I grew up with just how important that has been in guaranteeing us stability, comfort. Um, not, I mean, we talk about survival, but, you know, I think we, I think a lot of us are actually, we're at the brink of being concerned with thriving. We're talking, we're talking about, we're not just talking about how to, how to make uh, rent or put food on the table. We're actually thinking deeply about, you know, ways to enrich our lives, make it meaningful to progress, right? Not just tread water. And that's a huge, that's a huge gift, I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, of course. So I, I can't disavow that level of I can't disavow that privilege. And, and let's let's be real here. Well, two things. One is for those who are with a measure of privilege, and that's a lot of people. Like, um, obviously not everyone, but I think I, I want to talk specifically about privileged Asian Americans. No one's given up that privilege in the name of this racial movement. Not that I know of. I, you know, I, I'm sure I think there are people who maybe took a different route and said, you know, I don't want to do that. But I think most of them, if they're honest, they didn't ever really want to do it anyway. Right. Like, I, I don't see people saying, you know, in the name of disclaiming privilege, I'm going to quit my career and take mm-hmm. a poverty pledge, poverty oath. I, I don't. No one's doing that. You so mask no it. one's putting. Yeah. You tra- you, or you do the you know, you do the humble brag. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you just don't talk about it. this puts this puts up real walls to actually figuring out to actual solidarity, I think, because we're not allowed yeah. to be honest about this. Yeah. If you have privilege, you're supposed to kind of shut up, sit down, um, not say anything like just saying like, no, actually, I have some amount of privilege. There's a faction that will say uh, you're stabbing, you know, your people in the fucking back. You class traitor, you're, you race traitor. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh and you're not going to get any backup from anywhere because, well, look at you. Yeah. Look at where, like, are are rich white people going to back you up if you say that? No. And and and, and it's you're we're we're even more stuck than we realize sometimes because if hypothetically we were to do that, to give disclaim our privilege in solidarity with, um, the lower class, the lower classes, the ones who struggle and don't have privilege, uh, I don't think that they would <coughs> be like. Hey, that was a smart move. Thank you. I think they'd, they'd be like confused. Like, why the fuck yeah. would you do that? <laughs> Who are you? You know, and like, there's no language around it. So, you know, if done wrong or even, you know, mm. just if it's taken wrong, it, it it's patronizing. It's it feels like yeah. condescension being patronized to being looked down on. Uh, nobody wants that. So it's really hard to know what to do with the con- or the actual mechanics of how to leverage privilege in the service of others in a way yeah. that actually recognizes everyone's humanity and the validity of their, you know, the validity of their being in the same room. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a lot of ways that we're divided at the moment. Yeah. Um, but, I um, mean, yeah. Well, I think I think the question though is um that I really I find myself sort of confronting in my personal life. Uh not just as a mere intellectual interest or whatever or to make a spicy pod, but that I'm actually confronted with is uh what what do you do what what do you do with it? Um what is the 
purpose of it. I think a lot of people in the uh, upper middle class, the class, the strivers, the achievers, um, you know, I think a lot of them believe that the answer is to raise kids, which I'm not saying it's not the answer, uh, not the purpose, but I, I think that most of them quickly find that that's insufficient, that mm -hmm. just having kids and, and providing for them, uh, it, it's not really the, 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 the whole story of what a person needs in terms of figuring out what the purpose of all this effort was. Yeah, and I'm gonna um, I'm gonna make a plug for selfishness right here, which seems odd given what I just said. But um, look, you have privilege. Maybe you were born into it. Maybe you earned it. This is especially for the people who earned it. Fucking enjoy it, for one thing. Mm -hmm. I yeah, but what does that mean? It's gonna I mean, mean of course, something different but what does from. That mean? from it's going to mean something different to everyone, but it actually, it means, you know, respect yourself and the accomplishment um, that it took to get you to this particular place. I think there's a huge guilt complex that comes with, uh, with uh, achieving, say, an upper middle class lifestyle, achieving some measure of, you know, financial success, etc., um, in a way that prevents you from actually appreciating the extent of what you have or what you have been able to get. So either you're supposed to feel, I don't, you're supposed I don't think, to feel I don't think it's guilt. I don't think it's guilt. I mean I really do I think it's twofold. One is guilt uh -huh. that you got it and also guilt that you're not getting more. It's a really I think it's guilt it, that it's yes, a really I, fucked up I, thing. I think it's fear. I think it's I think it's knowing the record because I think um those who are born rich are or born wealthy, I think, don't might suffer a little bit from the guilt. But I think those, and I think most Asian Americans who find themselves in the upper middle class ranks and above, uh, I think most of them, I would guess, actually worked for it, right? I, yeah, I think and, so. Yeah. And I think that those who work for it, we tend not to feel that guilty about our success because it cost us to get there, right? And so whatever potential guilt there is, it's easily offset by remembering how much, how difficult and painful it was to pay the dues to get there. And so I think we're. I think most of us are kind of stable in the guilt area. I think it's okay, the second thing you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Okay, then th that's 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 my particular burden in that case. I mean, okay. I, I feel yes. like a fraud. Like I remember in college, mm -hmm. uh, this is when I first kind of got an inkling that this was the dynamic going on, uh, and then you know further on in my career, uh, there like you know you get like an Asian American powwow going, you know, a circle. And you're talking about like struggle and overcoming it. And I'm just sitting there like I, I don't I I, sh I don't belong in this. And they're like Jess, how did you you know like overcome you know like I didn't overcome shit compared to mm. what I had. Like I'm a fucking mm -hmm. failure at this point. Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, like someone's talking about being the first in their family to go to college and then get a PhD. I'm like, fuck. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like both my yeah. parents have PhDs. I do not, you know, everyone mm -hmm. in my family has a terminal degree. I don't, um, you know, so it's, but, but, uh, but you still put in effort. What I'm saying is like, I guess I, I guess it's, I'm not saying it's just a matter of those who like grew up in a poor family and then achieve some measure of wealth later, but it's also people who grew up in an educated, you know, not rich, but like affluent, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, a solidly upper middle class family that 
kind of carried the torch and said, I'm going to follow in these traditions. I'm going to work hard and maintain it. And I think that that's sufficient. As long as you put in the effort to, you know, get through school with, you know, good grades, go to good schools, put yourself into a profession that required a lot of study and prep and effort, and then climb the ranks yet again upon graduation through, you know, really tough barriers, um, all that stuff. Uh, it, it instills in us, I think, the same sort of I earned all of this kind of attitude. And I don't think what bugs us, the bugaboo is necessarily guilt, though there is a liberal element to sort of displaying guilt. Mm -hmm. But I think that what really bugs us as, at night, I mean, maybe a few really like, you know, pure souls do, do, do toss and turn at night about this. But I think most of us kind of go to sleep well enough saying, you know, I, I reap what I sow. But... I think there's a certain, there's still questions about what the purpose of it was, you know? And I, and I think that when you say you should enjoy it, that to me is sort of reframing the question of what do I do with it saying, you know, how do I sa make sacrifices now? Uh, maybe that's not the right question. You know, maybe the question is how do you properly and maximally enjoy what you've achieved? And I think that, one of the problems is that when you say enjoy, when you say enjoy the fuck out of it, people think bottles and models. People are like, okay, I'll, I'll uh, go on a drug binge or, you know, eat, eat, you know, more pro, more socially acceptable. I'll go on a on a on a on a years long world tour, you know, with my you know whatever, and I'll buy a nicer car. I'll move into a higher you know a better rated school district. Um, I'll move up the chain. And I think even then, and I know plenty of people who have made uh, fuck you money who, you know, I was, I was, we were talking about a, a friend who recently decided that he wanted to start buying exotic sports cars and racing them. That was his calling, you know, and I'm like, I don't think that's going to solve his existential crisis. Um, that's just called a midlife crisis, right? Um, um, I guess when I, when I say enjoy, um, uh -huh. I, I do mean a moment of self-respect here. Uh, because I think it is monumental, like collectively, what Asian Americans have been able to do in a very, very short amount of time in a completely like it's hard to overstate just how radical the tectonic shift in culture and society has been over the last, say, you know, 100 years. Right. I, I think it's I th I think there's a, there's some amount of personal like cycle it's not I don't think it manifests in any particular way but I think for me there was a bit of psychological resolution to what I was feeling in in just sitting back and respecting yourself and what you have been able to do so far mm -hmm. right like we yeah. all can say like if we had worked a little we could have gone to a school that's a little bit better we could have gotten a little bit higher grades maybe there was a way to negotiate for you know an extra 15k a year or something right there's always a, something you can do to disqualify your own accomplishment but there is something to be able to just simply enjoy in the sum of what you have been able to achieve uh and respect that and I think that sets up a, a decent foundation for, you know, what to actually do with what it is that you have achieved in your life. But see, right? knowing... Like, this like, whole, like... But, no, but, like, the buying the sports car, trying to, you know, 
spiff up your wardrobe, you know, all of that with an eye towards that, you know, the corner office or something. That's still not that's not enjoyment in the sense that it, in the sense that I mean it. Right. Oh, that, it's still, that's the still, thing that it's a bit that's, of that's insecurity why I want to pod that. with you about it. But that's why I want to pod with you about <laughs> it specifically, because I think embedded in your view of this, there is uh, there is something about you personally that I think might be missing in other people. And knowing you and, and maybe you knowing me, I think we get to operate on a certain assumption, which I kind of want to communicate. Okay. Which is that I think we do indulge our sort of anti-establishment leanings sometimes. I'm not saying in all aspects, like, you know, fuck the world. I don't think mm -hmm. we're nihilistic. But I think any healthy person living in American society in this day and age has got to be a dissenter to, in some form or fashion. You cannot exist in this world and not think that there's tons of fucked up shit going on that's wrong that you've personally encountered. And I'm not talking about just simple like injustice and I was passed over for promotion or whatever, but just like the fundamental like assumptions and framework of all those battlefields that we had to fight on and all those ladders we had to climb and hurdles that we had to jump over. And in the process of getting to where we are, we know things about the system and we know it's racially discriminatory, but we know a lot more and gender, and it's it's uh, especially hard on women and women of color in particular. Asian women suffer in a way that I don't think the discourse has fully articulated in a way that is understandable to everyone. You know, we're still talking about how Asian women are more of um, able to avail themselves of white to, to white privilege and things like this. And all of all of our anti-establishment views seem to be part of the racial discourse. Like everything that, like if you're, this is what I'm saying. If you're like a successful Asian American, I think there, it, it tends to be that whatever anti-establishment thoughts that we have, dissenting thoughts, um, where we have a standard that we wish we could impose on the rest of society. We, like we have certain standards that society's violating. Um, we tend to stuff it all into the racial discourse. And yeah. we develop this idea that, you know what, I fucking love this system, this system that I, allowed me to succeed, but I have, there are certain racial elements to it that I wish I could fix. And I'm not saying that that's, um, I'm not saying that that's invalid, but I think that that makes us become like mule-like in a way. Like we, we, we carry water, but we're not happy about it because of this sort of racial grievance that is like smoldering all the time. And I think that we may be making a mistake in feeling that, you know, we're really, really pro-establishment, but except for just these racial grievances. And so when you say enjoy yourself, like you have the privilege, enjoy yourself, bask in that privilege. Well, if privilege is the ability to sort of live by your own standards, um, I think we should take a broader, I think that means if you have privilege, you should take a broader view as to what you really think about all of it. Yeah, and I, I, I think it comes with an ethical obligation. Yeah, and this isn't, yeah, yeah, this yeah. isn't a responsibility. Like, I'm not saying like this is a self-sacrificing thing you owe to, you know, quote, your people, however you want to define that. I think having that broad focus actually helps your own understanding of your positioning. 
I, otherwise you get kind of lost. I think it's really easy to get sucked yeah. in and kind of buy in a little too deeply and realize a little too late uh, how much you've given up for mm -hmm. relatively little once you take, you know, and you don't realize that until you do take a broader stance on things. So I think you owe it to yourself to actually have an ethical vision for privilege, you know, your own privilege. Uh, like, you can be, asp like, if you don't have it, you can be aspiring towards it, but you need that bigger picture of what you hope to achieve with it, or it just becomes consumerism. Yeah. Yeah, because, look, as a, as a, um, check all of the right boxes except for the racial box, but even then I'm only, like, one level down, let's say, kind of guy, there's a lot of us out there who are, like, extremely pissed about stuff and i think that that level of dissatisfaction and that level of um uh, anger there's just a lot of asian male anger out there uh there's a lot you of know asian i think it's female anger and it's not and properly a mm. it's not properly conveyed by an endless stream of attractive 23 year old asian chicks talking about how hard it is being an attractive woman in society that's really what this whole right. yellow, yellow fever dialogue boils down to. Hot women yeah. have it rough. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You don't fucking say. Right. Like there's a whole right. there's there are whole totally. like dimensions to this anger that isn't served by this just one very narrow narrative. Uh, say that to the uh, twenty eight year old six foot two chiseled, uh, you know Chinese American guy who's getting laid by a different girl every week saying. <laughs> white guys get it easier <laughs> you know like yes maybe but uh i guess what i'm saying is let's let's not pretend that there's going to be a movement coalescing around your your uh your sex life you know what i'm saying yeah and um, like like punching that's kind of and this like uh this constant uh side eyeing of what white people are up to uh needs a lot more scrutiny uh yeah, a totally. it's 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 punching up and we know we're punching up because there's a very specific type of white person we're looking we're side-eyeing when we're doing this right yeah. like yeah. i'm 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 watching for our i don't rivals. know why they're we're yeah, looking at our white rivals right but they come but they're a very specific type of white person too mm -hmm. so we kind of need to be very honest about this like i don't know why but i'm watching my 400 pound life on hulu mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh -huh. It's a it's a show about vi like morbidly obese people and you know mm. and the process I think it's actually produced by the bariatric surgeon who is shown in that in the show uh, so it's 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 about their you know struggles leading up to bariatric surgery and recovery and so on right uh, we're not exactly envious of them right there's a Twice. class dimension mm -hmm. to this racial conflict that i think we do need to be very uh, honest about that that currently just flat just talking about race as a block is allowing to slide under the radar there is a very very direct class dimension to this mm -hmm. we're we're that punching can be up though though if i'm listening huh? to this i could interpret that to me and you're saying you have enough so stop worrying we should be no, okay see, with the white guy getting more. I mean, I'm just saying that that could be... I know, I know that's not sure. what you're saying. But at this yeah, point, I was, I, I'm starting to think that. Is that what you're getting at? You know what I'm saying? Like, no. Mm. No. And this is, this is where the broad view comes into play. 
uh, hyper focusing on hyper focusing on the aspirational whiteness, right? Like if you're a six foot two Asian guy, you know, just drowning in pussy, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you're looking at maybe the six foot three white guy who's drowning <laughs> in pussy and has a Lamborghini. You know, like <laughs> mm. you know, like if you don't take the broader view on things, um, I think it's very easy to fall into a trap where you magnify yes. what yes. would become relatively minor differences. Uh, and that gives you a very myopic view of your own, you know, aspiration, right? Yeah, also, yeah, and I would say, you know, if you're concerned about racial identity and racial justice, it's like, if you're really hyper-focused on the delta between your privilege and the even more juicy privilege of the white guy rival, you know, you're being defined by that person. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that the system is fair to have created some asymmetry here. Right. And I, and I don't want to, it's not just like I have a Porsche's Lamborghini. I mean, let's face it, like there is a fucking bamboo ceiling. And so it's real, you know, it's not, I don't want to minimize the, um, the effects of racial discrimination there. But I think that, yeah, you're, I agree with you. Take the big view. It's like, you know, maybe the problem is the, this, this over fixation on our immediate personal position where I think there's plenty of evidence now, the more we think about unhappiness and dissatisfaction, that it's about being part of something larger than ourselves. And Mm -hmm. I don't think we can only care about people with similar, you know, being similarly situated. Hey, it's not just, you know, me as, you know, a highly paid professional who can't break through the bamboo ceiling. It's all the other highly paid professionals that can't break through the bamboo ceiling. Okay, maybe that's a little bit wider in scope. But that's still very, very dominated by a preoccupation with yourself. You just happen to see that, you know, yourself is defined by socioeconomic factors. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a racialized dimension here too. Like we just talk we're talking about the bamboo ceiling, right? Um and it's kind of predicated by you saying like like you should be by you asking me if kind of what I'm driving at is should you be happy with what you have? Uh I think there's a question before that, which is do you even fucking care about the ceiling? Right? Like, do you want to... Like, let's say there is a bamboo ceiling, or a ceiling, period, right? Like, maybe you just don't want to do all that. Right? Like, there's a whole there's a whole dialogue that we can tap into that's going on in mainstream discourse that I think we can tap into here, which is, en masse, we are seeing a lot more people turning away from traditional American dream aspiration. Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, is there a yes, racial yes. dimension to why you, to why you feel is part of your unhappiness, in other words, uh, that you feel pressured to give a shit about this ceiling that you that you're that you're supposed to want to smash when in fact it hurt, you actually want to step away. For, it's hard for me. In a way, there's a bit of white privilege at play here, in the sense that if I, as an Asian American man, decide I don't want it, I I I can never sit perfectly. I can never sit perfectly assured that the reason I didn't want it is because I didn't want it versus, well, I didn't want it because I couldn't really get it. Yeah. I think that, I, I, I think there it. is always that sort of, it, it, can I really make my move? This is kind of like the paradox of the Asian nerd, right? Like the Asian nerd 
can't really in a, it can't really fly their their nerd flag in a society that has suddenly come around to valorizing the nerd because the asian nerd is a sort of sort is sort of like an unintentional nerd it's, it's like nerd not not by choice yeah you know but it, whereas the white nerd or or or, or whatever uh, chose to be the, chose yeah. to be a nerd. There's, a whole... there's valor there's valor because of choice and agency whereas I was yeah. pigeonholed into it, you know, and and therefore I feel like, yeah, that, I think that right that ties into this whole concept you bring up of enjoying your privilege. It's like, can I really enjoy my privilege if I'm not even sure that I chose it? It's that's true. You know? uh, and so I side to say step, step away that... from it, you know. Yeah, no, I, I I get that. I'm not actually ascribing any moral. Like, I'm not even saying. Um, this is what you should do, or maybe you're actually feeling this. Uh, I'm just poking at it because I feel like a lot of this just yeah. goes unexamined. So let's tease out some like threads that go into this, uh, that go into feeding this uh, dialogue that we have about privilege and aspiration and what the fuck are we doing with all of this, right? Like, yeah. Um, uh, like I personally love um the challenge of the bamboo ceiling, uh. Mm -hmm. Because it's there, right? Like it's a personal challenge of mine to kind of to 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 hopefully overcome that and achieve success on my terms, which are admittedly quite grandiose, uh, unrealistically right. probably, right? But I love that no, that challenge. I wouldn't is there. say that, but yeah. <laughs> but I like that it's. I. I mean, that's a personal challenge, and I can yeah. say um, uh, that. That's added a little spice to my own like personal and career ambitions, um, but it's hard. To, I'm not going to universalize that, right? And I'm not saying, okay, you don't give a shit about you know ascending, you know, making partner or you know going public in an IP, in a splashy IP or something. Um, if that's not your goal, right? Like I don't tie material success to like racial progress. I don't judge an Asian person by that standard. Mm -hmm. Right. It's I think there's a vision of personal fulfillment that needs to be carefully interrogated and articulated. But this is a very individual process. Yeah. So I'm still I mean, we're talking on a podcast, so I don't I don't know how that'll come across. But like, I'm just talking out loud, basically. This no, is a thought process you know, fall, I went into. I, see, I get what you're saying, but I, I, I think that there are certain things certain things that we are taught about how to think in this i think it's not racial i think it is american uh mm -hmm. and i think one of the things is that we are really confused about when you say selfishness we are really taught to now we, we think of selfishness as really a, a um a part of greed and selfishness as a word has kind of leaned towards this sort of, you know, avarice and greed. It's a negative connotation, uh, which is fine. I, I think self-centeredness is is part of that. But the thing is that we're now left without a word to describe sort of, you know, a, a larger sense of selfishness, which is that exercise of privilege to say, I want to live by my own terms because I think people are, you know, our natures are, 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 are a lot better than we have been taught to believe. And I don't think people, you know, want to turn into the greedy asshole. 
You know, I, I don't think that's what people, re most people really want. I don't have any friends like that, to be honest. I don't know if it's because I won't be friends with, with people like that or the, the reality is that most people are pretty good people. And I think that the problem is that we are maybe a little bit distrusting of our nature. And so when you say something like, enjoy the fuck out of your privilege, we interpret that to mean like, oh, let's do something, you know, totally pointless and self-serving. But I don't think that's what you mean. No, I don't. Um, it it kind of goes know. back to like, what did you want to do at seven? Right? Like you're 10 at summer vacation. There's bound to be something that you wanted to do that, you know, maybe your parents couldn't, you know, you just weren't allowed to do, you couldn't afford it or anything. Um, like indulge something that you want that you that would fulfill your truest version of yourself. And that's, oh, okay, fuck, that sounds so corny. Um, I, oh, no. It Look, in, 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 a, in, a, in an era this, uh, I don't think it sounds corny in the current times. Let's put it that. I think it's. I, I think it's actually oh, meaningful now. <laughs> that's, that blows. <laughs> that's how bad it is. You know? <laughs> okay. Like. Okay. I mean, selfish in kind of an Anne Randian sense, right? Um, and this. This actually. This formulation has come back in uh, self-care dialogue. Actually, centering yourself. Right. Understanding who you are, what you what you want, what you stand for. Just being honest with yourself about you. Right. Uh, and I think we're we're encouraged to not think about that. I think there's a race element on top of that, which is uh, a little bit of escapism, wanting to escape uh, either a, a sense of guilt or burden, um, and avo like avoidance of interrogating your own personal motivations. And look, it's really easy to do that if you come from you know if you have if you carry with you. Uh, what I'll call a struggle identity, right? It's really easy to avoid doing a deep introspection under the guise of, uh, like, flying the flag of this struggle identity. Right, right. Uh, um, yes, because uh, I want to agree there, and I want to tell you why I agree. I think it's because we are basically in these struggle identities i think we often become dishonest about who we are in order to fit that struggle and so we don't really it doesn't really give us a good sense of ourselves because we are mold we are sort of like presenting a, an exaggerated and edited uh version of ourselves in order to fit that struggle narrative yeah. and that's a very incomplete identity which is why i think asian american discourse is inherently limited right now because we're not talking about individuals. We're not talking about the need as an individual. We're talking about the delta between me and white people. Yeah. You know, and that, that gap, there's really not a lot of information in that gap that can inform who I am. It, 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 it does tell me about the things that may be wrong and fucked up about how you know, how our society is. It doesn't tell me a lot about me, though. Yeah. You know? So I do agree with that strongly. I mean, in a sense, uh, you know, like these struggle, the struggle identities come with them ideologies, political ideologies, right? And they're largely, they're concerned with power, 
and nominally mm-hmm. on its face to take up the banner of your struggle identity. I don't know if this is a word or if, if this is already a term out there and I'm, and I'm miss, I, I don't mean whatever's out there. I, I don't know about it. I'm talking about uh, marginalized identities here and we can carry multiples of them. Uh, and I think, but largely speaking, they all kind of aggregate into uh, kind of a, uh, a stance against establishment power you're supposed to be broadly, yeah. you know, anti-establishment, uh, anti-privilege, anti-power, basically. Um, mm-hmm. But look at look at the actual mechanics of how these identities and these movements play out. They are they are in a very real way uh, power grabs. So yes, I don't. They so, are. And there's a there's a huge amount of dishonesty. Um, in in not being able to accept and own that fact that under the cover of this banner that's about dismantling power to quote you know game of thrones rest in peace uh breaking the wheel we're actually trying for we're trying for control of this wheel yeah yeah so and it so just it's more of the same it, it'll bring more of the same dissatisfaction in that yeah. sense, right? Or incompleteness. And, you know, as a person, you know, personally, then because you have this cause to take up, this ideology you, you want to, you wish to uh, see more of in the world, right? You're kind of encouraged to, to kind of leave off introspection. You're supposed to kind of erase yourself, kind of subsume, get subsumed in the common cause. Um, and I think this is a pretty dangerous. Uh, I see some of that in Asian Americans too. Some there's some kind of residual, like guilt, reflexive guilt, in actually being introspective at a deep level. Yeah. And this, I don't mean introspective as in you know some man self-flagellating himself for you know like complicity in patriarchy and racism. I don't. I don't mean that. I'm talking about Sounds just kinky. a little bit. Hey. Yeah. Um, well, we, that's a whole nother topic. Um, <laughs> yeah. I do see BDSM elements in this, just so <laughs> let's tease yes. that there. Um, yes. But, so I don't, mean, I don't mean that. I'm talking about actually, you know, what do you tell yourself, you know, when you can't sleep at night, right? Like, mm-hmm. I want, you can be honest, like, for me, I want power. Mm-hmm. I want more of what I, I want more of it. I would like mm-hmm. to have more... Uh, so I guess I'm saying I do want more privilege, right? Mm. And I, if we're being honest, I think this is what a lot of people would have to admit to themselves. Why else would you go to work tomorrow if not? Why do you want that? Why do you want to make money to pay down that mortgage on that huge house and that fancy car or what have mm. you? Or, you know, putting money towards your kid's Harvard fund or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't see a fund. There isn't a fundamental problem with the pursuit of it. I think it's. I do see a problem with what the fuck are we going to do with it once we have it, like you said. Right. So this is this is how that loop connects to me. Some of us can, are there. I can engage with you on this conversation and be very different in the sense that what I want out of privilege is the uh, freedom to drop out. I've always wanted to drop out because yeah. I. But you know, this is other, this is the elite. What's that? That's that's kind of that's okay. This is either a super elite or just um, like you have just dropped out of society. 
There's two ways I wanna to drop do that. Out of, I want to drop out of the game and okay. I want to I want to live a proper fucking life that I feel that the game, uh, the careerist game, is starting to suck out of us, right? And there comes a point where you've got to start measuring how much you're giving up for that money and saying like, it's not just, it for me, an infinite sort of like trade-off that I'm willing to raise the stakes over and over again. And there comes a point where more stakes aren't even made available to you. I'm not even sure how the fuck I would make like, you know, fuck you money at this point. I'm kind of where I am, you know? Um, but I think that it's scary for people to say, you know, maybe they want to drop out, um, and lower their expectations in terms of how much privilege they need to accumulate in life before they can actually live for a lot of people like, like that I knew in wall street, that meant that they wanted to be sitting in a yacht, you know, moored in, uh, Monaco. I mean, they would say stuff like that, you know, uh, they would have crazy dreams about what it would take. Um, to do what they really wanted to do. And, uh, well, if what you really want to do is to live like fucking, you know, uh, you know, like a, like a, a, a European billionaire, then, you know, that's one thing. But I think that's what keeps me up at night is to, is to wonder at what point do I feel like I have enough? And then once I have enough, what do I do with all that free time I've bought myself? You know, um, and I think that that kind of question requires a lot of understanding about who you are, a lot of introspection, a lot of priority. And I think it's hard for Asian American. I think this is where, for me, the Asian American discourse needs to go, is that we need to start understanding what it is, we, who we are. Until we do that, we don't understand what we want. And if the only thing that we know about ourselves in terms of this racial identity, which has become so fucking important in America right now, and I'm not saying that facetiously, I think that's true. Um, if you have these like really unresolved identity issues, it just really makes it hard to know when enough is enough. And yeah, when it can really, you does. really get to living, you know? And it gets, it, it sends you into some strange um, places. Um, like, as an Asian American, what should I do? I don't. That's a that that question just does not make any sense. Like as a man, what should you know? What should I do? Like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these are non-starters of a question. And it comes to me. It still comes yeah. down. It's it's corny as shit. But like honestly, uh, like like I've met a few like genuinely happy Asian people. And they strike me as, like, radicals. Like, to me, like, there's something about the act of, like, just being, managing to be happy or achieve your happiness, some vision of your own happiness. Uh, In this climate, it's a pretty radical act. Can I ask you a question? Uh, Yeah. How rich rich are these people? Fairly rich. Um, There you go. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. So, look, 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 I've never... Dis- I've never disavowed that. Like, that that paper is fucking important. Yeah, it really is. So I really, I the disc, the uh, the, I I think this is a young person thing too. Um, the c- communist, ca- the casual commies, right? Who were talking about overthrowing the system and you know, overthrowing the state and you know, eliminating the need for capital, like. That's such a that's to me that's too utopian. 
mm-hmm. and it's not very helpful. Uh, the pursuit of money is actually it's it's important. This is what this is what we need to survive. This is the base reality. You need some amount of money just to fucking live, right? So the pursuit of it in this in the system that we have now, I'm not gonna shame that. I think there's misapplication. I think if you don't think it through correctly, um, the big problem there is you you pursue that too single-mindedly, you realize you've given up more than it was worth. Right? Mm-hmm. So they're not giving it up. They're talking they're they're not putting they're not throwing away their money where their mouth is though, right? Yeah. Like everyone's still showing up to work, everyone's still paying bills, everyone's still going out. Yeah. It's uh it's an expression I think not of this desire for you know, an ascetic life. But I think that I am more sympathetic to it. Um, and I think this may be just sort of like the political difference between me and you is that I encourage people to question the fundamental relationships that we have with money and whether and how much how, and how important is it? Meaning, yes, you need it, but how much do you need? See, that's what, what is we're not, because, disa- that's we're not what, in disagreement. Yeah, and and the question of how much do you need is answered by another question, answering another question, which is, what do you want it for? And until you know what you want, you're just on the fucking treadmill with no, it's never going to turn off, you know? And um, I think that's that that questioning the system, you know, the entire trying to reframe everything and, and just and 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 saying, what is it? that I'm missing because I don't think that the striving for privilege is in and of itself rewarding. I think it's damaging. Uh, I think it, I think we pay a price for it and it is damaging. And if you don't know why you want it or if it's for a reason that's flimsy, I think it's, you end up paying more than you get and that's not a great trade-off. Yeah, and I think the pay, the real pain of it is the alienation from uh, your life. You get alienated from your family. You, you don't get to spend enough time at home with your children and your wife, and you don't get to, enough time to hang out and maintain your friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have time to pursue just personal interests, hobbies, uh, intellectual pursuits, athletic pursuits, whatever it is. The things that bring you joy... Uh, it's what you're doing is you're you're sacrificing time and energy uh, for money. Right? Your sense of joy gets warped too if you don't interrogate yeah. this. Um, did you did like okay? Your coworker bought a five thousand dollar watch, so you scraped up the cash and bought a ten thousand dollar watch. Um, okay, you you really fucking showed him. Great. <laughs> did that bring you joy? Right. Like it can get very, very myopic, and I, I think like people have done studies on this, and people, people's ambitions. This is the delusion that gets you up and gets you to work, right? You, if you, if people are asked to describe their life mission, it it's very grandiose, very ethical, very informed, and then you cl- you more closely examine what it is that drives them. It tends to shrink down very rapidly. It literally comes down to, oh, my uh, my asshole cousin bought a fancier car. So, you know, mm. I really had to just fucking show him. Or, yeah. you know. Um, so or I very... fucked hotter girls. I mean, that's another part of it, too. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. it's very, very worth questioning 
what actually brings you legit happiness. Because if you're very, very honest, like, I don't want to fall into a trap where I only realized 10 years after the fact that I really was just competing with, like, my asshole cousin or a co-worker <laughs> yeah. or something. Well, right? you're totally defined by them, if that's the case, yeah. and you lived under their shadow for this whole time. Yeah. And I... And I yeah. But I think the the danger of you know taking on you know the identity of you know a marginalized identity, you can also kind of blow it out of proportion and say, oh, um, me like trying to, you know, uh, trying for that promotion to general manager or something. This is like part of the racial cause. Like I'm I'm like fighting for my people, right? Like you can you can you can be a little bit more. You can put that into perspective too. Yeah. Yeah. Like. It's it's a job, bro. You know, like I, your race thanks you for your sacrifice. I I don't know, um, yeah. but like, did was that was that worth it to you? Yeah, I took th this makes me think back to actually. Do you know f who Frank Wu is? He's a law professor yeah. who wrote that book Yellow and and uh, okay. actually he was my professor. Uh, he was he was a visiting professor when when I was at there. You um, go name dropping like a proper upper middle class boy. Name dropping, name dropping. We had Frank Wu on, uh, on that old TFML podcast I used to run. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I remember that. Great, yeah, great guy. And uh, but I took the class and it was a, it was a sort of a standard can canonical review of Asian American rights struggles in America, which I think is a great topic. I think it's a it's a great history to know, and it's um. It's relevant to my life, but I always got the feeling like, you know, what does it mean to uh, the seminar of upper middle class to wealthy Ivy League students? Like, what what do we get? What are we gleaning from this? And so, I remember I wrote. We all had to write a paper, and I wrote a paper saying that, you know, I didn't feel that the Asian American identity was really expressing itself or manifesting itself out in society in a way that resembled any sort of rights struggle. To me, it was just a big fucking networking event and a way to meet people and a way to connect in a way that other people didn't always have. If, you, if you're white, you can't go to like white networking events, or I guess they're all white. But do you know what I mean? Like there's, it, I felt that there was this positive aspect to the to, to being Asian. You're a member of a club and one that was full of interesting people that I could easily now meet um, using my my cultural background, my ethnic background as my entree in. You know, and yeah. and I felt like that was a much more for and I think this applies across the board. I don't think this is limited to upper class Asians or Asians with money. Um, but like for plan A this whole time, I've never felt like us doing this was part of a struggle and that we wanted to necessarily pitch into a larger movement and be, you know, whatever. I thought that this was just a really great way for us to sort of have the conversations we want to have and the friendships we kind of wanted to have and talk about the shit that we wanted to talk about. And the whole Asian thing was kind of like a really practical and and convenient excuse to do it. Um, yeah, I I agree. So, I mean, I I hung out with a. Uh, I mean, I grew up with the practically all Asian crew, right? Um, that just became my comfort zone, you know. Like yeah. I probably should consider diversifying. <laughs> I honestly, 
Um, yeah. But like, I'm drawn to it because it's a common it's a common story. It's a way to kind of let go and just ha- be honest uh, with a bunch of very interesting people, people who I'm more likely to get and who are more likely to get me. Yeah. Um, the idea of like coming together for like a political cause to me is a little fraught. I wouldn't really know how to navigate that. Um, but I would I would put it this way because I think we do have uh, different views on these discord rants that I go on and that others go on about leftist politics and stuff. And I think the reason I enjoy them is because it's not I because I don't think that the conversations are necessarily motivated to say only a leftist politics only, you know, um, advocating for more socialist policies that's fundamentally within Asian American interests. I think that that you know, these conversations are motivated by people who genuinely, as human beings, take on a more, so you know, communal type view of life, and therefore actually are bona fide leftists, versus, you know, mm-hmm. I'm an aggrieved minority, and therefore I'm going to find, you know, some political movement that's going to, for, you know, enhance the, the interests of my racial group. Uh, and the way that race play, you know, it's it's actual bona fide, you know, people with political leanings, and the way race plays into it, at least in the context of how it goes down in our discord, which for me is very positive, is it's just another excuse for me to kind of connect with people like that, because they're Asian and we have similar backgrounds and we get each other. Yeah, I get um, that. And I think it's, I don't know, for me, that's a nice model of how your, your, you know, being Asian American can play into it. It is not to give me grievance bona fides, which I can then use to cash in in the social justice game for benefits that accrue to me. But rather, it's almost like a special entree into connecting with other people. And that's, that's a good always a good it, thing, yeah. in my opinion. So yeah. Um, oh, we agree. So we agree. Great. Always, yeah. It's always nice to find agreement because I think like we're, <laughs> we're, 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 we are so different in a way, but like, so if we agree, I guess it's meaningful. <laughs> I mean, I find, I find uh, a level of fulfillment and pleasure in this. Oh, I mean, I, I probably sound like a total hedonist talking about happiness, you know, joy and shit. Like mm-hmm. there's a pleasure principle that's missing uh, in Asian American discourse. Like, it's fucking fun being Asian. It really is. I'd agree. There's a ton of, like... I wouldn't trade like, it. Tack, like, like, shit, the food we eat, the things we do, the music we listen to. Like, there's a there's a tactile richness to being Asian that I find very, very pleasurable to be immersed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the narrative out there is my lunch was too stinky. And kids made fun of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, like like bonding over bonding over struggle is one thing, but also like finding mutual pleasure in the same things. That's powerful too. And I feel like that dimension of bringing people together is uh, underplayed. I I yes, I should have I should clarify my what I said. I think that I say I say what I said to counterbalance. I think the racial discourse out there being too mired in struggle. I'm not saying that the struggle isn't necessary. I'm not saying that there isn't grievance that we need to address and I'm not saying that it's invalid. But it's but the but the enjoyment part that you that you bring up is missing to a large extent. And yeah. 
I don't think we've learned to um, really enjoy being in our own skin enough. Yeah. And See, I, think I think that, that that's causing the, us problems. Yeah, I think that's the power of, you know, the subtle Asian network. Why? I think that's the, the secret to why it took off. Because I remember, you know, the early days of Facebook, um, people got, you know, people got onto it pretty quick uh, to mobilize it as, uh, like, um, support groups or, you know, solidarity activism groups. Um, but it was hard to engage with them because I remember being in, um, I grew up, predominantly with Chinese Americans uh, so I didn't really connect very well with uh, Koreans or growing up uh, mm-hmm. so you know mm-hmm. in the era of social media I kind of wanted to, to talk to more Koreans and I'd, I'd go into these sort of uh, these very early activist forums and it would just be it would be just post after post of the worst shit that happens to Koreans it's it, it's like like okay t- in today's news some korean had an extremely shitty day let's talk about it right and it was and and i'm right. i'm sorry that i'm kind of making light of it cuz it is grim and it's harsh and it's a brutal and mm-hmm. this shit does need to get talked about and addressed but it was hard on a human level to understand how to engage with trauma and disaster and horror and sadness when i couldn't yet find um find laughter with them like i couldn't bond with them yeah except that's over right. just that's right how immensely shitty this one thing and there's a very firm limit to how much you can engage with that without that other dimension of that that human bond being respected and honored and i think subtle asians <laughs> took off because for once it's us being able to laugh with each other being yeah. finding happiness uh just giggling over the same stupid shit Right. And that provides the human backing. So, you know, I think that's a stronger network, a stronger human bond to draw on when it is when it is time to talk about these very, very real traumas and disasters, you know, the inequities, all of that that befalls us. Yes. Yeah. Because what are you protecting? Yeah. Like like, cracking a joke in one like in one of these forums and being like, you know, like. And the response was like I was personally stabbing Korea in the back or something by like cracking a joke. Like, are you to serious? other Koreans, right? Which is like, the ironic part. Yeah. 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 And it's yeah. like a, it's an yeah. overly, and I feel like this is part of a second, maybe a second generation Asian American, um, like making Asia, treating Asia a little bit too much like a precious artifact, being a little mm-hmm. too precious about it. Like, yeah. there's a human reality, like, like people it's a lived reality right it's there's not a lived reality not, that's uh, yeah. yeah it's not just about um like it's not bonding over just the worst shit that happens to us that that doesn't go anywhere yeah it's dragging it's dragging your drunk friends in into the car it's going out to see movies and shitting on them it's uh it's you know your family it's your friends um yeah, there's a very social aspect to being Asian American that is real. It's there. It's not like Asian Americans aren't fucking like hypersocial and all over each other all the time. Uh, but when it comes to the discourse about the racial discourse, it, it, it's almost like that doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, it's like we don't we don't really celebrate that in a way. It's almost like, are we ashamed of it? You know, like, or what is it? Or do we not understand maybe that that is a racial experience? Like just being with your friends itself is a racial experience that's positive. 
and we're not allowed to bring positive experiences into the thing because we're trying to raise awareness of the negative. Well, maybe it was necessary. I, I don't want to express like a ton of regret about how things went down, but I do think that in especially now that we find ourselves in the middle of the Trump presidency and, and, and you know all this racial just violence and and antagonism has surfaced that uh, maybe what we need is more of that communal and pro-social aspect of the racial experience to counter, to sort of fight against that and versus, um, okay, let's start getting into um, racial tactics and let's start getting into grievance narrative even stronger. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think, you know. um, I think it might be something... Um, that we forget because we're shaped by um, uh, like a lot of the social justice movement is dominated by white discourse, white norms of speech, right? Um, yeah. For for those of us who grew up or are otherwise immersed in heavily Asian or POC friend circles, the importance mm -hmm. of that can be you can kind of forget that it, the importance of it. I I certainly did. Uh, for a very long mm -hmm. time, um, mm -hmm. until it was, uh, and then I can only p imagine what it looks like to say an Asian American who grew up uh, outside of much uh, Asian influence, right? And we hear this a mm -hmm. lot, right? There's a lot of people come out of the woodwork to say, you know, I kind of just I was the only Asian or one of like three Asians yeah. in a heavily, you know, non-Asian um, hood. So there's a process of learning how to be Asian amongst Asians that that is a, that we need to be more respectful of. There is a there is a very yes. th like to how that was to always my problem them. with other Asians. That what when growing up that was always my problem because look, Asians are not the sad sack people, especially the privileged ones are not the sad sack picture that we tend to paint um, in this discourse. They're often fucking the clickiest and most snobby yeah. and most exclusive. And I shied away from Asians, not because I was ashamed of them, but because I was intimidated by them. I felt more yeah. comfortable um, sometimes out of that sort of core of the Asian social network, you know? Uh, and, 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 but to where's the room for that criticism or where's the room for talking about what you said? Maybe we need to learn to socialize in a more positive way. Uh, maybe that's true now. I mean, this is a long time ago, you know, but uh, that's just it. it it's kind of a, a part of it that's not been talked about. And um, my, you know, just like my experience growing up was a lot. That movie Better Luck Tomorrow, even though it was in Dude, Southern California. That was basically was really, my high school. Right? Yeah. I. It yeah. was basically in many ways, broad strokes, very similar to how I grew up. It was an intense uh, it was a socially intense and not particularly healthy social atmosphere. And Asians were not some marginalized nobody group, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, and, I'm just, you know, they never really followed up with a lot of that stuff. I think, like, the fact that we, we need the, the, the kind of Asian representation that we're pining for in Hollywood now, like, largely ignores the sort of lived in reality that's depicted by that movie. And I was just, I was pining for more of that and it never really came around. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get it. There's a fantasy built. Like I, we, 
I think there's there's room to kind of unpack uh, like racial storytelling in, a, in a, maybe in a different episode. Uh, like I get what's happening. Like it's in a piecemeal way. You build fantasy. You build myth. Uh, in a lot of ways, I think Better Luck Tomorrow uh, just was way too soon. <laughs> like it was way too soon. Like it feels like a more revolutionary movie now. Um, yeah, it, it would have been. You know. Yeah. yeah. Like the order of like Crazy Rich Asians, all of that. Sh- that should have actually come first uh, in the collective like, yes. racial yeah. identity building. Totally. Um, yeah. And this goes back to what you were talking about, the Asian nerd versus the white nerd. The white mm-hmm. nerd gets valorized because, you know, there's like, there's f- everything fucking valorizes a certain type of white man. You know, Captain America fucking. And we can talk about that, too, uh, because I have a huge problem with nerd culture and its recent portrayals yeah. in, in media. But yeah. the way the white nerd stands out is because he's kind of standing in opposition to establishment, you know, the Don Drapers, Captain Americas, and, you know, Batman, mm-hmm. shit like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whereas the Asian guy is just kind of, I mean, you're not rebelling against shit. That's who you fucking are. Right. Right. Yeah, and like, and nobody gives you credit for it. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. like, yeah, you you are you are a fulfilled man right there, Mr. You know, Lynn. You know, we do it to ourselves, too, because it's this self-consciousness that we have, again, that we're nerds because we were socially marginalized versus yeah. I'm a nerd because do you know that my father is a fucking computer genius and this is what we do at home? You know, like... Uh, yeah. We we almost do it to ourselves because we don't valorize ourselves in a way uh, because yeah. I feel um, we constantly that's this is another part of the discourse that I hate is this need to to not be pigeonholed and defined by others expectations of us and that just tells me that the reason I you know studied engineering was because you know white people told me that that's what would be best for me when the fucking fact of it is that it's what my dad was and that's mm-hmm. how he made me interested in the world and I've always had a fucking fascination with that. But, you know, once I got to the... Once I was a part of the sort of Asian American uh, culture of that second generation, I had to feel ashamed about it to, to a certain degree, you know, like... and. Um, you know, it, it, we work against ourselves. It's like you said, like we strive, we try so hard, but then we don't really give ourselves the credit for having done it and therefore we can't enjoy it, right? Because mm-hmm. then we're just like, oh, I wasted my, I'm a doctor, I hate my life, I'm only a doctor because my parents only want, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a matter of enjoyment. I agree. Yeah. Like, it's so hard to learn how to enjoy. Like, on the fucking back. Yeah. Like I think it's hard as a second generation. I, I I hate feeling like I'm. I almost have to like resist this pull um, from you know the racially woke lingo that there's a there's a struggle like that being second generation is kind of a divided or subtractive identity. You know, not quite this, not quite that. Kind of this, you know, mutant. In oh the yeah. Middle. When yes. I feel like it's actually an additive identity. Yes. Exactly. You know, like I, yeah, it's so it's I I find pleasure, satisfaction, and quite a bit of arrogance in that. Honestly, yeah. um, like, do you know how fucking hard it is to be to understand languages as different as Korean and English? 
to Ex- navigate yeah, that, that, both worlds yeah. so, with somewhat, you know, f- with either fluency or near fluency, right? Do you know how fucking big that gap is that we just sort of walk like it's a, like, we walk it like it's fucking nothing. And then we look at ourselves in the mirror and think we're somehow damaged as a result. Like, dude, wh- dude second, second G, 2G, a lot of us, we're like dual boot computers. Fuck like, y- yes, can, yes. You know what I mean? Like, is Maybe a dual a boot computer bugs? fucking handicapped? No, nah, it runs everything. What are you talking about? Dude, I'm everything. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, you get an error message on the window side, but just, just, just get rid of that and shit and it runs fine. It'll run most right, of your right. shit just fine. You know? <laughs> And like, yeah. and for you, you know, you're you're Chinese, Taiwanese. Uh, do you identify as Taiwanese or Chinese? Ch- Chinese. Well, I I guess I technically would identify as Chinese, but I find the whole thing. I just I hate choosing sides because I love Taiwan. Sure. But okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like that gap, right between. China slash you know China Taiwan and the U.S. so massive, and yet here you are. You're a you're a paid professional in one generation, right? This is this has happened within the space of one generation. Yeah. This is yeah, a- and I think you know what you know that, that's that's another part. It's like pat yourself on the back. Like I I don't I don't like it when. Asian Americans don't give themselves the credit for having accomplished that, and they're just like, "No, it's because America's a great inclusive country." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, it is." But you don't don't make light of the things that you had to overcome to get there. Yeah, too. it's not. It didn't hold your fucking hand, you know. Yeah. Maybe it let you win. Take but some it, credit. I mean, this is Take a box. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a very significant accomplishment. And this is a humongous amount of intellectual capital that we hold as a as a yeah. generation and as a as a group. A fucking tremendous amount of capital, both like in actual capital capital, but also in every intellectual labor that's done that's paid well in this country. We have our hands all up in that. I have not been. I've been across biotech, tech. A lot of prestigious industries. Asians are all over this shit. We can talk about the bamboo ceiling. I'm not dis- discounting that there are very, very real structural problems. But fuck. Like, this happened. We did this. Yeah. yeah. And so I, th- I, mean, good, I, don't uh, mean, I don't mean anything yeah. by it other than just, a, like, just think dispassionately but also you know kindly at the things that we have done as a people and i think that does help shape your vision of what it means to be happy to find joy in your own life and what you want to do with it right it doesn't have to be yeah. this insecure scrabbling for position against you know your shitty coworker or your shitty boss or you know fighting your parents or your family it doesn't have to be about something that narrowly constrained yeah. You don't have to feel so boxed in. Well, you should feel boxed in, uh, but not put more, not put yourself in more boxes than they put you in. Yeah, you know, yeah. you get what I'm saying. I do, I do. Um, yeah, uh, we should. We're at an hour thirty. I guess we. I mean, we could talk forever about this, and we should. We should do yeah. more. I think this is a good starting point, and I think like for those listening, like you and I have. I mean, we're kind of saying things that we've said to each other before, and mm-hmm. there's, and I think it's worth having recorded it but i think like we have gone further down this uh 
this this yeah. idea than than just this pod um and we should we should get more into it and um yeah i guess uh, I, I don't know if you want to you have um, a a pithy way of summing it up or last word take the last word here uh nothing that Nothing that I, I feel like it would be just a, a shitty recap of Deepak Chopra or something. I feel like I've been extremely corny this whole time. Like, be yeah. happy. You're doing good, little buddy. You're fine. Um, yeah. So I'll just I'll just leave that there. I mean, full disclosure. Yeah. I guess it would be kind of helpful to I guess to contextualize uh, where I'm coming from. Like, like right now I'm not currently employed. I stepped away from that. I'm pursuing entrepreneurship on my own terms. Yeah. Um. So, uh. So I'm trying to walk my own walk here, like, right. I'm trying to live by what I'm saying, and I'm, I'm taking full advantage of, uh, the privileges that were given to me and that I've I've worked for myself, um, and with the with with a bigger picture that hopefully is bigger than just me, right? I I. I think we should go into what, you know, a more ethic, kind of navigating what that ethical vision of privilege is. I don't think we got that far into that, but mm-hmm. uh, that's definitely something that informs my life right now. Um, I've been lucky yeah. enough to kind of step out of the corporate hamster wheel. Um, mm-hmm. So this is kind of, uh, this is kind of my way of thinking through that next, that this next phase in my life for myself too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I guess for me, I would say that, you know, I personally have experienced a lot of the uh, stresses and anxieties that um, come with uh, upper middle class professional life. And with time, I think what you got to do is um, learn that you've got to listen to your, this is the Deepak Chopra part, is what you want and what your what's good for you is not always going to be explained to you by those that have authority over you. Uh, you, you, you cannot just live your life through deference to authority and you've got to be able to be comfortably resistant or even oblivious to authority at times. And I think that's something that's, that I feel is my interest in Asian American issues and discourse at the moment is our inability to kind of locate um, that willingness and desire to be a little bit anti-establishment and anti-authority. Um, and because you can't do that unless you know what you want. So, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good place to stop for now. What do you All think? All right. Yep. All right. Sounds good to me. That's our episode of Escape from Plan A for this week. As usual, subscribe to us and give us a rating on iTunes. That helps us the most in terms of getting the podcast out there. And of course, visit us at patreon.com slash planamag if you want to contribute into our writer's fund with access to bonus episodes and a discord with other Patreon members. See you next week. <laughs>